First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't generate amusing holiday cards, but it will personalize career paths for your people and let you know which suppliers are best so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. So I've been noticing something over the past few years, and that's that celebrities and influencers are increasingly choosing to have their own brands instead of just doing endorsement deals. Now, I don't think endorsements are dying off at all, but think back to the episode of Creative Control with YouTuber Emma Chamberlain. Here you have this very outspoken coffee lover with a massive platform that I know any coffee brand would have killed to leverage with an endorsement, but she started her own coffee brand instead. I wanted to dig into this idea a little more and unpack how actor and director Elizabeth Banks became co-owner and chief creative officer of a canned wine company. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. I actually interviewed Elizabeth Banks on the podcast back in 2021. If you didn't listen to that episode, please go find it. It's a really great conversation. And we were mainly talking about how she was getting into the podcasting business on top of the many, many other things that she does. And she mentioned that she recently came on board with a company called Archer Roos. Here's what she said. I'm always trying to figure out, as a businesswoman, what are the different areas in which I can expand as a businesswoman? I'm an ambitious person. I'm not afraid to say that out loud. And this was um, an opportunity that was presented to me that really felt like it aligned with my values. It's a female-led company. I love the founder, Marion Leitner. She's fantastic. She's in the the ad with me. (laughs) She's from Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. I have a real soft spot for assholes. And, (laughs) And not only that, I saw right away that the innovation here is not in like creating great wine. I'm not adding anything new to the, to the space of wine. What I thought the innovation here was that really attracted me was the distribution mm-hmm. and canning really good wine. And just to be clear, Elizabeth isn't a spokesperson for Archer Roos. She joined the company as part owner and the brand's chief creative officer. Marion Leitner Waldman, who's the founder and CEO of Archer Roos, already had a successful company. So I wanted to understand what value someone like Elizabeth Banks would add to a company like Archer Roos. So, Marion, I know for me, Archer Roos first blipped on my radar when I actually interviewed Elizabeth Banks for this podcast. And I felt ashamed a little bit as an avid lover of wine that I had not heard of Archer Roos before. So I'm excited to talk to the actual founder of the company today. What was the spark that led you to create Archer Ruse because you didn't necessarily start in the in the wine business and here you are with like a wine company. So walk me through how we got to Archer Ruse. Well, it is a long and winding story that involves gun runners and oligarchs and years in public service. So wow. what I'm gonna yeah, it, it's in, it's an insane story. All right, let me get settled. Hold on. Truly Archer Ruse starts at my dining room table where it was born. And it was a Monday night and I'd been working for the World Bank and I had had a terrible day and I just really needed to have a glass of wine. The challenge was that I didn't want to open up a bottle because I had a really early flight the next day. 
and I really wanted to have a good glass of wine. But frankly, like, yes, there were boxed wines out there at the time, but none I really felt were a substitution for a bottle. And it really begged this question, why is all wine put into bottles? And why don't we, craft spirits does and craft beer brands do, why don't we have high quality options in formats that fit consumers' lifestyle? And so I posed this question to my husband. He had actually just come back from the Republic of Georgia, where he had been building a natural wine company and had actually been chased out of the country when he sued an oligarch and then Putin invaded Georgia and there was a regime change. See, I promised you there'd be gun runners in this story. What kind of power couple are we talking about here? You worked for the World Bank. Your, your now husband is being chased out of the country. Like. We are not power couple. I mean, you, right. you don't understand. We are like just a couple of dorks who like to drink wine and we found each other. So it, it really kind of started from this very simple idea of like, I wanted to have a better glass of wine than what was out there. And he was really processing his experience in Georgia and was sharing a lot of all the lessons that he learned that, as he likes to joke, was how not to build a wine company. And the wine industry is, quite frankly, really behind the times. Craft beer and craft spirit has done such a great job of connecting to consumers. And wine, like, does its best to alienate them, in my opinion. In what sense? Well, in a variety of ways. Basically, wine marketing hasn't changed in 50 years. We're essentially marketing to highly aspirational, your dream is to own a a vineyard or a winery, and the focus is really on white boomer wine collectors. And the reality is that, you know, it's not inclusive. It's not reflective of actually who is drinking wine on a daily basis. It's excluding entire demographic groups, but also it's completely out of touch with the way that people live today. I live in an apartment. I don't have space to lay down wine for many, many years. And the reality is that 97% of all wine that's bought and sold in this country is consumed within less than 72 hours after purchase, and it's less than two years old. Why is that important? Because wine up until the 1970s, less than 5% of it was put in a bottle, and that was only wine that was meant to be bottled aged. That maxim that we've all heard, you know, wine gets better with age, it's fundamentally untrue for most of the wine that's produced. Mm. It's only true for a very small amount of wine. And it was put into a bottle because in the 1970s, Congress standardized the 750 milliliter bottle for taxation purposes. And due to the global standardization of packaging, European exporters saw an opportunity to upsell Americans on inexpensive wine. And so they all started putting it in a bottle. And here's the part that really incenses me, Casey. I'm already incensed. Are you going to make it worse? I'm going to make it worse. I I actually didn't know any of this. Yeah, most people don't. The majority of wine that you buy, you're paying more for the shipping and the packaging than the wine inside the bottle. I should not be surprised because in business, I mean, markup is just a reality in so many ways. And that's why we've seen this like this boom of like DTC companies shooting up and just like really wanting to get their products directly into the hands of the consumer and cutting out the middleman. So 
in everything that you just laid out, where does Archer Roos come in? Well, we've disrupted it in a couple of ways. The first is that we really set out to build a craft wine brand. So rather than build a brand that was really focused on the way the industry had been doing things, we put the consumer first. And we asked ourselves, who is our core consumer? How can we bring them a better glass of wine? And how can we take them on a global journey to the best wine growing regions and get that wine into their hands in a way that reflects their values? So we talk a lot about transparency because there are more than 70 additives that you can add to your bottle of wine that you don't have to disclose on a bottle. And this includes things like animal byproducts, artificial food coloring. Number one is we wanted to make a commitment that we weren't going to do any of that. The second was that we wanted to really be focused on sustainability because the other piece about putting wine in a bottle is that 70% of wine's carbon footprint actually comes from packaging and supply chain. And what's more, glass is not recycled in 60% of the municipalities in the United States. Wow. So we like to joke that in embracing canned wine, which is lighter, easier to transport, and also recyclable everywhere. And more than 50% of all aluminum in circulation in the U.S. has been in circulation since the 1950s. Mm. So we like to say that you're drinking your way to a cleaner planet. And the third, and for us, like really the biggest differentiation in our product is that for the last seven years, we have been developing intellectual property around our standard operating procedures around how you can wine. Because if you're gonna can wine, you actually have to treat wine differently than if you were put into a bottle. And that's actually because canning wine is far less forgiving of imperfections. So you have to start in the vineyard to really understand the different interventions that are being taken so that the final product is a glass of wine poured from a can that you would have thought would have been poured from a bottle, but then the benefit of it, to your earlier point, is that it tastes delicious. It is fresh every single time, and it is as close to how the winemaker wanted you to drink it. Hmm. So <laughs> I know with, you know with Archer Roost, you're selling to customers in grocery stores and whatnot, but it's also being sold in restaurants. I mean, James Beard, award-winning restaurants at that, also being sold on flights. So I know when the pandemic hit, that just shut down everything. I mean, people weren't flying anywhere. People weren't going to restaurants. So how did the pandemic affect your company, and how did you come out of that? Yeah. By the time the pandemic rolled around, you know, we'd been in business for about four years. We'd just won an opportunity to test our product aboard JetBlue, and 80% of our business was coming from bars and restaurants. And that really shocks people, but we learned pretty quickly that because canned wine was so new, people weren't seeking it out in stores. So we wanted to show up at your favorite restaurants and introduce this idea of canned wine to you. And so overnight, everything dried up. And it was really scary. Frankly, I thought we were going to go out of business. <laughs> but I also happened to have, I gave birth to a baby literally the day that Boston, which is the city that I live in, shut down. So I was trying to figure out how to save my business and trying to figure out how to be a parent for the first time. 
And I was, the real story is that I was up breastfeeding my son at three o'clock in the morning thinking, how are we going to get through this? And the craziest thought entered my head, which is we've always wanted to take our marketing to the next level and connect with consumers differently. And we always said that Elizabeth Banks would be the perfect person to embody the spirit of Archer Roos. Let's figure out how we get to her. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. But I mean, of all of all sort of like the celebrities and all the people that, you know, you that you could have partnered with. I mean, why Elizabeth Banks? I'm so glad you asked that question. Well, first of all, she's a badass bitch from Massachusetts, which already I give her props for. The second is just like she is a really smart businesswoman. I'd been following her career for a while because I'm a huge 30 Rock fan. And that's actually where I, I mean. where I first got introduced to Elizabeth Banks. And she's funny as hell. And she built a really great following on social media. She's also an activist, you know, women's rights, a reproductive rights activist, which is a cause really close to my own heart. And an incredibly thoughtful, like, individual overall. And the whole idea behind what we're doing at Archer Roos, it's rooted in irreverence. It is a respect for tradition, but a recognition that tradition must be constantly reimagined. So we, the only way to really do that, we felt, was with a cheekiness and a humor while still recognizing that wine is inherently sophisticated. And so we needed somebody to, who could embody all of those qualities and Banks just really stood out from the crowd. So I reached out to her talent agency and I got to know her people. And then I got to meet her and she was traveling with her family in Utah. That's when she first tried our wines. And she was like, this just makes so much sense. So she and I got to know each other. And the whole thing really took about a year to put together. But it really felt like kismet because the more that I get to know her and I'm the more that I see the way that she operates, whether it's on the production side, on the acting side, through her activism, I'm just continuously impressed by her because she is someone who like, she knows what she wants, she goes after it, and she's take no prisoners. And she does it all with kindness and a sense of humor. And I think that's just, that's a way of life to really try to aspire to. Absolutely. Oh, that's so nice. And did you go into approaching Elizabeth with the idea of just her being like a spokesperson or did you want her to actually have like a, like a stake in the company? Oh, no, I did not want to stake like a spokesperson. Like, yeah. that's just not, not the way that Dave and I operate. You actually said it in the ad, that really funny ad. You're just like a celebrity beverage endorser. That's so cliche. <laughs> Here's the thing. Elizabeth Banks really knows wine. Nice citrus and peach on the palate. I should be the spokesperson! Marion! I said no thanks. Marianne. A celebrity beverage endorser? Marion! That's so cliche. But she just told me that she works here now. Marion, how the hell do you spell sommelier? Is that even how you say it? <laughs> you know, between you and me, like, I'm not, like, a big celebrity culture person in general. Like, what I wanted was to partner with an extremely talented person. And so to me, that inherently meant this cannot be a spokesman-like deal. I want to partner with this person because she's cool and she's funny 
And I want to take what we're saying and I want to elevate it to a whole new level. And so from my first conversation with her, I said, this is not going to be you're sitting in front of the camera saying like, this is really great. This is like, I need you to be bought into the brand and what we're doing. Then I want you to challenge us to think how we can tell this message differently and funnier and in a way that will really cut through all the noise that exists out there. But the cool thing about wine is that like nobody really advertises in the wine business. Like think of all the beer brands you saw at the Super Bowl and all of the like Jack Daniels and Jameson and Captain Morgan commercials you've seen in your life. But like there really is very little advertising that's done in wine. And so my kind of mandate to her was like, how do we do this better? How do we do this funnier? How do we do this in a way that also doesn't condescend to people, but connects with them and is ultimately rooted in like very human moments. So like we have a great one where she's talking about the sustainability of canned wine and it's, it's about the embarrassment of taking your recycling to the curb <laughs> and all of the like clinking of the bottles and like, what will your neighbor say? <laughs> recycling wine bottles can be embarrassing. Thankfully, this is the last time I'll be just curbside. Go inside, Robert. Because now I drink luxury wine out of a can. It's delicious and convenient and it's a lot less um, noisy. Wow, that's triggering. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Been there, done that. <laughs> when it's like super late at night because they come so early in the morning. And so oftentimes I just forget until the last minute. I'm like, oh, I need to take this down. Totally. And yep, that like clink, 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 clink. <laughs> that is relatable and uh, sad all at the same time. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, we're going to hear more from Marion on how Elizabeth Banks is helping to shape the creative vision of their company. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. So Elizabeth is helping like with the marketing. I guess like what is her job title exactly? <laughs> yeah. So we brought her on as co-owner and chief creative officer. And her job is really help bring the brand to life. And the thing about Liz is that like she doesn't do anything halfway. So like the moment that, you know, she really started to see what we were doing and what we wanted to accomplish she kind of rolled up her sleeves and like the scope of what she does expanded. And so she's now involved with a lot of our, you know, retail pitches. We just launched at Target this fall and we've just expanded our pods with them. And she's been intimately involved, not only in the pitch, but also in the continual development of our relationship with Target and how we're going to elevate it to reach new consumers. She is like hands-on with our distributors, uh, which 
you know, is very important in the alcohol industry because through distribution is really how you achieve scale. And our goal is to be one of the top five low lux brands, you know, within the next five years. We want to own the space. We want to own your glasses of wine, period. You know, whether that be a Monday night where you're sitting on your couch or you are cheersing to a friend on a mountaintop that you've just climbed. Hmm. We want to be what you celebrate with. So I actually interviewed Elizabeth recently for a feature that I was working on about her latest film, Cocaine Bear. And I wanted to ask you that when she's off doing something so labor intensive, like directing a film, I mean, I know she was on location in Ireland shooting this particular project. How do you go about working around her schedule? She is like freaking Wonder Woman. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) She is like the most insane multitasker I have ever met. And like, I know a lot of working moms. I know a lot of like really dynamic people, but like she is a whole other level. So, you know, to answer your question, like, absolutely. We definitely, you know, work around her schedule in terms of like, times when we we need her physically, but she's never disconnected. Like she literally called in for interviews and like retail pitches while she was on location. Like she just zoomed. She has a really, she's a, has a really strong intellectual capacity to connect dots in a very unique and interesting way Mm. and also allows her to compartmentalize yet still perform at a very high level. I mean, the woman went to Penn. She's not just a pretty face, you know? Yeah. And I kind of want to go back to the point that you made earlier, which I think is, I mean, I was making a lot of faces because I had never thought about it, but it's entirely true that we don't see many advertisements for wine. There's plenty, as you mentioned, there's plenty for liquor. There's plenty for beer, like just way too much for beer, but not so much for, for wine. And so knowing that you did have this this white space in a way, this blank space, I mean, how did you go about deciding to fill it? We wanted to tell a different story. So first of all, I have to drink my product more than anybody. Liz has to drink our product more than anybody. So the wine better be good. And and that's kind of just the starting point. It It had to be a dangerously delicious glass of wine. But that's not the story. Because the reality is that why do we drink alcohol? I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about better for you alcohol and all this kind of stuff. But look, at the end of the day, alcohol is a treat. We we do it to connect with others and to ourselves. And it has to be accessible. It has to be relatable. And so much of the stories that I felt had grown and Liz had felt had kind of grown up around wine we're really intent to be condescending to the consumer and put them in their place, create a system where like there were experts who could tell you what was good. And then there was the consumer who was meant to, to rely on those experts, but otherwise to doubt their own judgment. You cannot have a healthy relationship in anything if that is the dynamic, right? And so what instead we wanted to do was reframe this entirely and say, look, We're going to bring you great wines that tell a story, but this is going to be about you. We're going to tell you stories about your life and how our product fits into it. And we're going to tell it in a funny and amusing way because at the end of the day, this is canned wine. And if you, we can't take ourselves too seriously because we're wine in a can that 
inherently we have to be delicious or you'll never buy us again. But that also can't be the whole thing. And we really felt that humor was the best avenue to connect with people anew and to help them open their minds to consider a totally new format. And so again, like, you know, I, I talked about bringing the recycling to the curb, but we also have a spot with Liz where she's getting ready for the PTA meeting and she throws some canned wines into her bag. And we've got like, you know, even more coming down the pike that are again, just about telling these like snippets of stories from your life that are all inherently about, this is meant to be fun. This is meant to be a treat. The ads have been so good. Like, I feel like, <laughs> I mean, for those who have not watched them, like, please go check them out because they, they are so funny. And it's it makes complete sense. I mean, I, you've, you found the perfect, you know, business partner, but also the perfect, like, actor to embody this because, like, Elizabeth Banks is just such a naturally funny person. So it's just, oh, God, I, I love those spots. But to the point of going, setting out to find someone like Elizabeth who wouldn't be just an endorser, but someone who you know has like an active like role in the company. I, I think that's something that we've seen a lot with celebrities and even like influencers and in like the in the creator space. I mean, I, I interviewed Emma Chamberlain, like the famous YouTuber. Oh yeah, uh, like a while ago. She has always been so vocal about her love for coffee. Like she just mm -hmm. loves coffee, drinks it all the time. And instead of just partnering with, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or any of these brands, like she created her own coffee company. And I think that that's really cool. So I, I feel like we've seen that more and more with people, you know, either partnering with existing companies or starting their own companies instead of just being, instead of just endorsing. And I don't think endorsements are going anywhere per se, but I, I think it really is interesting that more celebrities and influencers are deciding to create their own brands. And so as a founder, as an entrepreneur, I mean, like, what do you think it says that celebrities are moving more into this space than just relying on endorsements? I think it says two things. One is that the consumer's just gotten so much smarter. Yeah. And like, I, I just think that endorsements fundamentally are not as powerful as they used to be. And that is because social media changed the game. We rely so much more on peer-to-peer -peer recommendations. The second thing that that really unleashes the power of celebrity in brands is that if you are inherently a celebrity, that's because there is something about you that people connect with, that people inherently recognize, either aspire to or value. And as they get involved into the brand space or building companies, it's, it's about creating an authentic connection that really takes what has made them successful in other areas of their life. And infusing that into this new project. And such a big piece of it had to be fundamentally like we needed to connect as people and as business women who also felt really strongly that we just wanted to do things differently. And so that's what I think the power of like not being an entrenched industry titan coming in and trying to replicate this, but like really getting the opportunity to build this from the ground up, which is what we've done together, just allows us to kind of take this totally different approach. Yeah. What, if anything, would you say makes your partnership with Elizabeth unique, knowing that there are a lot of celebrity-backed and owned alcohol brands? I think that it's values-driven. Like, we 
both want to refashion the world in a similar way. We want to remake the wine industry. There are a lot of celebrity partnerships out there. Some of them have, have kind of fallen into a tr- more of a traditional model and or they've recognized a pattern that they're trying to replicate. And Banks is not the kind of person who follows other people's paths. She's out there like really forging her own. And so I think that that's what makes this partnership special is that she's a feather ruffler to her core. And, you know, hopefully we're pushing the boundaries of this industry together. Right. I'm so glad I got a chance to chat with you because, yeah, it's a full circle moment having like Elizabeth on the podcast and then finally, you know, the woman behind the brand. So I really do appreciate your time, Mary, and thank you. No, thank you for having me. And and honestly, like, this is just such an exciting time, you know, to be working with a partner like Elizabeth Banks. Only a movie like Cocaine Bear would bring us out of our season hiatus or our season hibernation, I should say. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this very special episode of Creative Control. I see my producer laughing at that line. <laughs> Julia, keep this in. <laughs> we will be back very soon with our next season of Creative Control. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows, this one included. And make sure you rate and comment as well, because we always love to hear from you. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, and Julia Shu. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. And providing editorial oversight is Senior VP of Entertainment, Scott Mebus. 